Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins, the founder and managing director here at the Anthony Michael Group, a search from helping organizations across the life sciences, but primarily medical uh, technology, med device, digital health, and diagnostics businesses to build high-performing teams, primarily on the technical side of the business, areas like regulatory and quality and clinical. As I speak, we've got a budding commercial practice in, in market access and reimbursement. I'm joined, as always, by my right-hand guy, Adam Sapi, and we've got great guests with us who really are here on a consistent basis as well, Shannon Hayes and Nick Zweig, talent acquisition pros in their own right. And um, we run the show in two different forms. One, we do a live show every week on Wednesdays at 11 Pacific, 2 Eastern, um, especially on LinkedIn. You can check out the live stream on LinkedIn. And then I have a recorded version where I'm able to have the honor and privilege of hosting best-in-class leaders straight from the industry to hear their stories and trials and tribulations on all things talent-related as well. Today, guys, we're going to jump in. We're going to really, I think, collectively give a state of the market. What's going on with the talent market at large? What are we seeing between the four of us right now? And really maybe feel some feedback that we've been getting from the candidate pool as to what they're experiencing too, and maybe try to make sense of it all. How's that sound, guys? Great. Sounds great. So let's jump in. Nick, I want to turn it to you for a minute. Offline, you were just mentioning that the latest Radford data came out. If you would, for those that are listening to this, that first and foremost don't know what that is. Would you explain um, at a high level what Radford data is and then maybe try to give us a summary of what you read from the newest data that was released? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, a number of different salary data warehouses that essentially provide reports and data around benchmark compensation for various different functions. Uh, Radfords and Mercer are the two that I'm most familiar with and tend to be the most reputable based on my own experience. And uh, Radford comes out, I think, every quarter or so or every uh, six months or every year, depending on your relationship with them. And uh, we just got our refresh data. We, as I hope most companies are, are using market data to make decisions about offers. And I was surprised that I think in the first time I've been using data from these two sources, we saw it go down. Not by a lot. It's not a remarkable difference, but the fact that it did tick down was really a bit of surprise because it, it just hasn't done that typically. And I, my guess is it's probably related to the massive spike up it went up. I think we saw almost 11, 12% increase yeah, year over yeah. year into 22. And my guess is it's starting to settle back down, but that, these are the tools that companies use to determine, okay, what is a senior manager finance supposed to be making in the life science industry at my location, publicly traded, my company size, right? It's all filtered so that you can get data that's truly uh, appropriate and comparable to your own organization so that you can make sure that you're competitive or over-competitive if that's your recruiting strategy. Nick and Shannon, in, your, in the history of you guys working in talent acquisition, would you say 
How accurate would you say that you found these data sources to be when it comes to comparing to real-time, you know, salaries that you're seeing, you know, in the market from candidates? I think that it's they're fairly accurate. There are certain fields, like when you're looking at tech roles like software engineers, where those can fluctuate pretty rapidly at times. But in general, it gives you a range. And it's um it like Nick said, there's a lot of different filters and it's really accurate data. Um, the last couple of years have been a little wonky because of the pandemic and things like that. But in general, these are really accurate sources for companies to use to help benchmark salaries and compensation packages. I'd agree completely. And I'd say, well, first, I would also say that it's, it is a lag metric, right? So this is not a measure of the market today. It's a measure of the market about six months ago because companies yeah. have to provide that data for them to aggregate it into that report. What it tends to be bad at is those real-time events, things that are happening that are causing a change in a, a rapid way. So for example, I want to say it was 2017 or or 18, the Seattle area saw a fairly quick spike in the cost of living, uh, housing in particular, hmm. and companies to compete had to start marking their salaries up pretty rapidly. And that didn't get picked up for quite some time because companies would need to hire people have them work there and then provide that data. So, um, but for the most part, you know, nationwide, I would agree that they're fairly accurate and, you know, I wouldn't use it as the, the be all end all, but it's definitely a data point you should be using a, a hiring manager or HR department should be using deciding compensation. You know, I think Adam would be hard pressed to disagree with me that as third party hand hunters, we've been pretty pessimistic about that as a data point, but I think you guys have given a fair and accurate picture in the sense that it is a lag metric. And I think that's probably been our biggest beef is that what was a year ago or what was a year and a half ago is not necessarily present day, reflecting present day, you know, specificity. And I was just thinking as you guys were talking about, hey, look, this is a benchmark that you can use in your decision making process for salaries. There's companies make a decision of do we want to be positioned as an organization that pays in the 75th percentile? Do we want to be an organization that pays in the bottom you know, quarter percent? Do we want to be right in the middle? What do we want to do? So I think this probably gives, like you guys said, a range. And then companies have to make a decision of how do we want to position ourselves and then maybe make case-by-case -case decisions within that as they work through different searches. Would you say that's a fairly accurate representation of how it works on the inside? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point, Mitch, the, the work and, and the space that you and Adam work in, these are really great benchmarks. They're guidelines. I, this is going to be very strange for me to say, but you can color outside of the lines for the niche, niche roles where you've got a really unique talent set. Um, I know, Mitch, you and I had a couple of years ago, I had talked ad nauseum about like the regulatory affairs space, and it's still a really hot area. But when you've got such a high demand for a specialized skill set and knowledge base, recognize that you're you need to be prepared to pay more for that talent and it might fall outside of the recommended ranges because like Nick said there is a lag depending on your how recent your data is and how recent you've participated but you know guidelines and this is where you know having having talent resources like Mitch and Adam and Nick myself I guess I'll include myself there is really helpful to to help gauge where that is because it's a data point. It's there's a lot of factors to consider sometimes. And sometimes yeah. it's pretty cut and dry. I was gonna yeah. say too, and to piggyback on what Mitch said, 
I think our our biggest frustration was, you know, especially early in into the pandemic, where you know, in a normal mm-hmm. flat market, this date is great, even if it's six months behind, it's pretty close, right? But at, that was literally world changing. You know, it, it, everything changed overnight, and then people are going back on, hey, this is how it used to be. Well, one, now you're competing nationally. You're competing against people that live in San Francisco Bay Area. Boston, Cambridge, really high expensive, you know, high cost of living markets because everyone can work remotely. And then also, I mean, it was changing so quickly that there's no way the data could keep up. So like for senior RA specialists, for example, hey, we pay X amount. And Mitch and I are saying, I get it. We're trying to be respectful, but we're telling you factually, you know, we've just placed 14 senior RA specialists in the last five months. And here's what the market is telling us. So either trust us to take this, you know, as as gospel or or go off of data that six or eight months ago and you and you will lose out on talent. And we saw it firsthand. I mean, time and time again, it, it was really frustrating. The other challenge that is relevant in the regulatory space in particular, and the, the example Adam just provided is it's a title, senior regulatory affairs specialist. That's what companies provide as far as data. There's not a lot of calibration in terms of what does that mean? Gotcha. And in the regulatory space specifically, I've seen companies essentially over-level, right? So they're entry-level, fresh out of college or coming in as an RA2, and then the next step is RA3. It's like they erased the RA1, and yep. it was because the cost was going up so high that they couldn't compete from a cost perspective. So mm. companies decided, hey, let's put a sexier title out there. And maybe it's not the compensation they're looking for, but they'll be excited. This is where they can get the senior role. So when That's you're interesting. Looking, yeah. So when you're looking at this regulatory affairs line in, in the data, are they true seniors or are they not? And it's probably a mix. And so that has a, the effect of deflating the actual average because it's not necessarily apples to apples. That's I don't interesting. think that happens is normal, yeah. right? Yeah. But in areas like human factors, engineering, um, uh, health, economics and outcomes research, regulatory, that is one of the tools in a lot of these companies' toolboxes to bump up the level to be more attractive from title. That's cool. That's interesting. So guys, as it sta- or as it relates to data points, let's talk about what's going on in the market at large right now. You know, you just mentioned that the salary data came out. Adam, if you don't mind, I'm going to turn this to you first. You talked to so many candidates for so many roles on a weekly basis. And I think that you can start to draw some themes as to how the market is moving. What, what yep. do you say? Yeah. And I just posted about this and it's anecdotals right now because it is so fluid, right? Like when we look back in, in three months from now or six months from now, we'll say, hey, the average interview process took three steps and three and a half weeks, start to finish. And then you know, this time frame, first quarter of 2023, then it switched to six interviews and seven weeks or whatever. So right now we're feeling it. It is changing. And I think, yeah, the last, really the last three years were very concise. The, the companies that won out on the talent market were streamlined, had everything dialed in. And now we're seeing a lot of start and stop, a lot of false starts, a lot of what I would consider extra interviews. Every headcount is getting extra scrutiny. So it's you're fighting even as a hiring manager to keep that headcount from going on a hiring freeze or something like that. So it's it's a really bizarre time. I think from that standpoint, uh, interview processes are getting stretched out further. Companies are less decisive right now. They're like, I don't know what to do. I, I don't want to make this the same better. From the candidate so- standpoint, oh, yeah. I was just going to say, say say that part again. You say companies are aren't sure what what they want to do. 
they're less decisive. Yeah. And, and, and they don't want to make a mistake, right? You never want to make a mistake, but you especially don't want to make a mistake. If this is your one chance to hire on your team for the next six months or year or whatever, you've got to get it right. So then they kind of get paralyzed, you know, paralysis by analysis. And then it's weird on the candidate side. A lot of when I ask, hey, what is a compelling reason to look outside your company right now? What's a motivating reason to interview? It's almost as as a defense. They're defensive. You know, they're just doing it because they feel like they have to. They've seen, you know, they're on LinkedIn. They see all the layoffs, too. So they're like, things are pretty good. I'm just really kind of getting some feelers out there. And so then it's more of an education wall. You can do that without going through the actual interview process. And, and so you really have to flesh out who's an active not an active candidate, but who's a serious candidate and who's just kind of going through the motions with three or four other companies, just so that if if all hell breaks loose and they get the, you know, their numbers called, then they have some momentum. So that it's a it's a really, you know, twofold. It's it's a really weird time right now. I would second that. I feel like companies are really sitting on their hands way more than I've seen in the last almost three years. Two years. Yeah. Two to three years. Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. Oh, geez. Twenty twenty was almost three years ago. That's right. Yep. Good point. Yep. Uh, so it's only you know, and it's slower than I have seen in that amount of time. And I think it probably does come down to uh, maybe some angst and wanting to make the right moves and people wanting to protect their own jobs by making the right decisions. I yep. think that financially, the business is being scrutinized way more than it has uh, in the last you know couple of years. What's frustrating, I think, from our perspective is like, OK, if you're going to employ a headhunter to help you, Somewhere in that decision-making process, you've committed internally that, yes, you are hiring for this role. So then if you're going to hire for this role, let's remember that, no, you don't really have the luxury to sit on your hands for weeks on end and not make a decision because there are other companies that, even though it may not seem like it from the LinkedIn headlines, there are other companies going full steam ahead who are trying to hire that exact same type of talent. Yeah. So for those of you listening, I would encourage you that, yes, I don't blame you for taking the time to do your due diligence and ensure that you have the budget and the capacity to bring on folks. But if you are committing to that, then make sure that your hiring process is very similar to what you had to do in the last couple of years. But that's a great, a great point, Mitch, too, because we've heard that how many times now in the last six weeks, you know, from a hiring manager, hey, here's your conversation. It's off. Well, there's been a bunch of layoffs or, hey, we're going to do this. Well, there's been a bunch of layoffs basically telling us, go find some of those people that are desperate for a job. And it doesn't correlate. Hey, today, February 9th, Disney announced they're laying off 7,000 people. Is of one of those 7,000 people a senior RA specialist that knows Asia Pac? Probably not. So it, it still doesn't matter to, you know, to what Nick's point was. These this finite niche skill set is still in high demand and uh, and you can't you know paint with the, such a broad brush. If it's a entry level role and it's you know low, lower standards to, to get in, yeah, great. you're gonna have your it's gonna be a flooded candidate market. you probably will have to will be less likely to pay a premium and, and stuff like that. But if, if you're hiring for those you know hard to fill roles and the market doesn't really I don't think it's as favorable as you might uh, hope it is. Someone posted something about hey, laid off talent doesn't mean that talent is on sale. Yeah. And I, and, and it's, it's, it, yeah. it's true. It's true. Yeah. That doesn't, yeah. you know, because, okay, let's say that you're able to, to lowball somebody and the market turns back. What is that person going to do? Person's going to walk out the door and take a different job, right? Yep. And how satisfied is that person going to be long-term when your whole goal is how can we not only build a best in class recruitment process, but a retention program. Right. And that kind of, you know, contradicts that whole element. The whole Shannon, thing. Nick, what do you guys say? What do you see from from your own companies? And do you do you agree with wh anything we're saying? Are you not seeing it? What, what's your opinion? 
Oh, I definitely agree. I would say, and I wouldn't necessarily say my own perspective and my company, because I think we're pretty thoughtful about exactly what headcount we need and why. But you've got company after company, executive after executive going out and saying, oops, be over higher, right? And so I don't hold it against companies for having that trepidation to dive in and make offers if everyone around all of their peers are saying, oh, we over hired. But it's, it's interesting, basic perceptions, reality, right? And yeah. the perception you have when you get on LinkedIn is that everyone has been laid off, that the market is flooded, right? But we yeah. see that jobs report that very clearly shows that is not the case with record unemployment lows. But I don't think companies are necessarily seeing that, right? They're seeing the layoff notices and the concerns, the, the financial challenges that a lot of companies have had. And they look inward. And I, I don't blame yeah. them. I'd probably do the same if I were in an executive role. Yeah, 3.4%. We haven't seen that unemployment rate since we landed on the moon. January's fe- no. uh, jobs report was, what, 538,000 or something like that. It was an insane number. Yeah. It, it crushed everyone's expectations. So, yeah, to your point, consider that, you know, holistically too, in, in, in addition to the headlines of, of layoffs. Well, and we're coming out of a, I feel like we're still coming out of this pandemic, right? So we've got a couple of different factors that I think add to the uncertainty that we've already addressed. But also remember, if a company's on a fiscal year, odds are they they could still be putting the finishing touches on the budget and right. headcount that had previously been open. It might there's I find that from my experience that there's there tends to be that uncertainty from hiring managers, you know, oh, am I going to get this? headcount yanked or or whatever that is, but it can be in a bit of a gray area, like January, February, because those budgets are like really getting Good like tweet. fine-tuned and and finalized. So I, I think that that could be a part of that slowdown in terms of decision making. And and while it's frustrating, it's, you know, it's a, it's a tale as old as time for recruiters, I think. It's not, I don't think it's unique to this time period, but does- And that's a good- does, Those core fundamentals that we've always talked about, be clear on what you want and why you're doing it. I was going to say, too, that's a great point, Shannon. If your fiscal year is, if you can hire somebody and onboard them on April 3rd, I think that's the first Monday in April, you can Mm -hmm. still interview now. It's February 9th. It's process is going to take two to six weeks. They're going to turn in a two-week notice, and uh, and then you reverse engineer into your first week of April anyway. So keep the line moving Mm -hmm. if if that is indeed the case. Yeah. And if you are a hiring manager that is uncertain about, you know, the the state of your openings. What you just said, Adam, is brilliant advice. Like reverse engineer this process so that you can then go to your leadership and say, hey, look, this is how long it takes us on average to hire somebody in this role. I remember doing that with an R&D leader years ago. And I said, so by the time you've decided you want this new position, we are three months behind the eight ball. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I do that all the time, Shandon. My favorite story was uh, a hiring manager wanted talent within, I think he said one month. But when I did the reverse work, we realized that we needed the offer extended one week before the rec opened. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> in, in that always how it goes. He had forgotten that candidates need to give notice to leave their company. And so hadn't really thought through that. But uh, (laughs) I think think that's a good tool. I think there's one other factor that is unique to today, at least it is from my perspective, and it's applicant volume, which for me is 
way up. Shocking. So a year ago, I hired a director of IT. I think I got one applicant, right? And that's fine. I'm a recruiter. I went out and found a great person. No big whoops. A year later, I post the exact same job, admittedly different company in a different financial situation. But I think I got something like 70. And out of them, 22 of them were actually viable candidates, strong candidates, strong background, right? I had to have the hiring manager go through and narrow the list down. I just don't have time to screen that many candidates. And so it's remarkable from a volume perspective, the difference from one year ago to today. And I think, Mitch, what, what happens is noise, right? And so, you know, the companies think, oh, good, now we can hire a free candidate, a candidate that doesn't come with a fee. And, and they get overwhelmed with, you know, 22 different candidates. Now they're running five or six through the interview process instead of two or three, which yeah. is weird. Well, that'll drag your process on for months. Yeah. And or they, I, I just, they keep watching the applications that come in. Sorry, not yeah. the interrupting. We're like, oh, this one's good. It's like, but you're at the final interview stage with two phenomenal candidates. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's what, build your the, bench for next right. time, but but lock yeah. something down. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, Whereas if it's if nothing's coming in and you've got a candidate you like, it's a lot easier to just pull the trigger and say, yeah. "Let's rock and roll." That's um, exactly you it. don't have the carrot being dangled every five minutes. You know, as yeah. the thing new applicant comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, a couple things to recap on what you guys just said, and I'll I'll start backwards from what you just said, Nick. There are a lot more candidates on the market in many, many different functions. That is the reality. And it's a huge, in a way, it's a huge danger for organizations because like you guys just said, they think, okay, well, if these cans don't work out, the floodgates are open, we'll still keep getting applicants. Problem is that can lead to a really vicious cycle where all you're doing is interviewing and not really actually moving your process forward and making a decision and hiring. And so with that, don't forget the fundamentals of an interview process. You start wide, have a wide net. You've got your pool. You've got recruiters potentially in place internally who are going to vet them and send them to the hiring manager. But then the hiring manager should be selecting two, if not three, that should go through the whole process. It doesn't mean that all six candidates have to go through your process. It should be that you should have a potentially a scorecard with what are you grading these people against, who scored the highest and why. And who should be in your final interview process and then make a decision from there. And also recognize that because there are more candidates on the market right now in a lot of different functions, that means that they have potentially more choice too. And so if you have five, six, seven candidates in a process for weeks on end, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to find another job because they are applying to a variety of roles as well. And so the fundamentals of interviewing haven't changed just because the volume is greater. The other thing I want to say is, look, it's always interesting to me when the market starts to change and the macro economy has news at large, that all of a sudden that means that because the macro economy news says this, that means we have to follow along and we're going to make some changes because that's what everybody else is doing. There are companies out there that are doing really, really well where they are not necessarily impacted by what you see on the news, Mm. especially in medical device. Really well-funded companies out there or companies that are hitting their numbers and doing just fine. So don't necessarily feel like you have to leverage what the news says to make business decisions in your own business. I see it happen so much. And then that becomes the, the conversation. Well, you know, we're, we're not sure what the economy is like. Well, how's your business doing? What does your financial say? Yep. Right. It doesn't matter. I can run a profitable business in a terrible economy. 
if I have the right ingredients to run a profitable business, it doesn't matter what the macro economy is doing. It matters what my world is yep. doing, right? Yep. And if you take the contrarian approach, a lot of times you win out. So, hey, here's a great time to hire, right? Like if the market is out like, the, like it is, hey, we only had 14 headcount budgeted for Q1. Or let's try to get 40. You're like, let's top grade all of our, let's add some really good talent when we can and then and keep them. And then to the point of, you know, engagement yeah. or, re, or retention rather. So I don't know. It's an interesting time. And this is a really, really weird economy. I've been in this business yeah. for quite some time as you guys have, but I don't know if I've ever seen it where it's so, for lack of a better term, it really is where there's like the race to lay off and the race to hire happening in the exact same economy. That's a great way to describe mm -hmm. it. And I, I would ask the question, uh, what companies, what industries, what locations? Because I think it's just like in 2009, right? When at, I think I've said in this show in the past, that was one of my best years as an agency recruiter. And that shocks a lot of people, right? To your point, Mitch, you can run a very profitable business if you have the right ingredients, even if the market's not good. I don't think anyone ever stopped to ask the question in 2089 when the market was a mess, what parts of the market are a mess? And what I would suggest is that a lot of those non-exempt and hourly type roles were probably the most significantly impacted and most professional leadership roles were virtually untouched. And that was the area I happened to focus at in as a recruiter. And so I almost didn't even see, it was hard to understand. Everybody's talking about, you know, recession, recession, recession. And here I am placing people left and right. But I, I think we look at the top line number. We don't drill down into the specifics enough. Yep. Just remember, if it bleeds, it leads. So, you know, go a level deeper than than what you see in the headlines and what you see in the the article or the news story that you read. Thanks, Shandon. I'm squeamish. I don't like that one. <laughs> and the news is the the job of, of media is to report on negative stuff because that's what people pay attention to. Right. I mean, that's the epitome of what, unfortunately, our American news is most of the time. So and then uh, any final comments on the state of the market or any words of, of of wisdom that you guys would like to share with folks who who maybe are listening to this and recognizing, you know what, we really kind of are sitting on our hands a little bit more than we should. The only thing I'd add is in the scenario where, hey, you're a hiring manager, you're trying to lobby or jockey to have a headcount April 3rd or whatever it is, you have a much better case, a business case of showing your boss, hey, look at we have two really good, we have two superstar candidates in process. They want the job. We're interviewing them versus a theoretical, hey, if you approve this rec for me, we might be able to hire somebody good. Like if it's a, a living, breathing person, you have a much better case. So again, back to be proactive, start the interview process now. And then if you can bring that back to the leadership team and say, hey, here's look at this person. Here's what she or he can add value to our team or how they could do that. Um, I think that's going to help you in. And the flip side of that, though, the I guess the devil's advocate or the contrary view is, you know, try to be as diligent as you can before you start involving everybody's time of can we actually hire? Can yeah. we hire? Yeah. Right. Because that because there's nothing worse than having somebody that you want to hire and then you, you just can't. And then you waste everybody's time. So and you I burn see both with the candidate, yeah, candidate you experience and PR. Yeah. You know, and, and now you'll never have access to that candidate or that person's network. Right. True. Um, so I, I think you're you're not wrong. You got to be a little bit cautious. But I also think 
Adam's right that you're much better off having a tangible asset that you can sit down with the leadership. Here is what this person is going to do for us that's going to end up impacting our bottom line in the long run. And this is the justification. Um, I think the more of that you can do on the front end, the better. Uh, but, you know, certainly helps have a tangible human that has actual skills that people have interviewed and fell in love with, you know. You know, one other thing I just realized that we, we've seen recently, too, is organizations who bring a candidate in, they have them talk to the hiring manager. The hiring manager says, yeah, let's have them talk to the rest of the team. And then they said, you know what? We want to hire this person, but we want to hire him for a, a level or two down. Please, please to recognize you don't, you don't have the, the power, I guess, is the, is the word to just dictate, oh yeah, this person's going to take a level or two down because they so desperately want to work for your company. It doesn't work like that. If you don't believe a candidate is qualified at a certain level, just be transparent. Say, hey, I think this is yeah. what the concern is. I think this is what your skill set is missing. We have one of two options. One, we have a role where I think you'd be great. And here's kind of what the growth plan would look like for you as far as how to, what we think is missing and how we're going to help you develop that skill set. Or two, this isn't the right time. Here's why I think it's not going to work out. We're going to set you free. Please come back to us because we really do believe that you could be a great asset to our organization in the future. Yep. Don't wait till the last minute and throw a, a they, surprise at the candidate. It worked so hmm. terrible with that person. I would well, even put go yourself in their range. shoes. Like, yeah. would you, really, how would you that. feel if that happened to you? You've worked really hard. You're really looking forward to this. And then a company comes back and says, actually, we'd like to downgrade the job that we've just spent how many weeks talking to you about. So it doesn't feel very good. It burns bridges. And remember, you will not hire significantly more people than you will hire. So make sure that they've always got a good experience. In fact, I just was talking to a hiring manager this week that had a candidate. They weren't the right fit, but they referred somebody who's now in process and, nice. is, and is a strong potential. Like that's incredible. That's cool. Yeah. And I'd also say companies that decide at the end of the process, oh, we didn't need a senior after all. We, we needed a level two. That is not right. I mean, you you had a strategy, a plan when you went into the hiring process to throw that away and pick somebody simply because you like them. They, they aren't what you need. They aren't what you want. I mean, nobody starts building a house and says, you know what? Actually, we don't need concrete for the foundation. Let's just use some mortar mix. It'll be fine. Right. No, does that. You, yep. you go in with a plan, you execute on the plan. And so I would say everybody loses. The candidate loses, the company loses, hiring manager loses, everybody loses. So if you start thinking, let's downgrade a position, full stop. Yeah. Yeah. And that means, and it comes back to two, that two things happen. One, the hiring manager close their eyes, cross their fingers and hope it'll just work out in the end with some sort of position. Or two, the hiring manager didn't do a good enough job vetting up front. Does this person actually have the technical acumen or the experience that we need at this level? Because if they did, they shouldn't have talked to the rest of the panel. They yeah. sh it should have been stopped right there. That's, and I get fired up about that because it's like, why would you take weeks on end to get somebody through an entire panel of people just to say, actually, we don't want to hire you for this role. It's a different role. Somebody knew way way before that, that that was the case. You can tell it's a hot button for all of us. We're all fired up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
which is why you guys are on our show. You fit right in. So nonetheless, guys, thanks so much for being here again this week and all the weeks that you are here. You add so much value to the show. Adam, thank you as always. We'll be back next week live in Living Color at 11 o'clock Pacific and 2 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday with the live stream on LinkedIn. So thanks so much, guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.